they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June 11th, which is the Feast of St. Barnabas, but the Feast of St. Barnabas is overshadowed by a solemnity. We are celebrating today the solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So the reading of the Gospel today will be from uh, the Gospel of John for the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Um, The Sacred Heart of Jesus, because it is a a solemnity, has a three-year cycle, like the Sunday cycle. So you have... um, three different years, A, B, and C. So this year, it's A, year B for the, for the reading. So thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Thanks to all our listeners on the app, on, on Rumble, on Facebook, Twitter, whatever we're still on, and, and the new um, social media platforms we may be on, and also to our um, Stations of the Cross listeners. And thank you for your support to this apostolate. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do it without your help. And for all of those, not only financially, but spiritually, who pray for us and who offer their sufferings for us. And so we want to talk today about the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And in that context, um, we're going to be talking about um, true poverty, true Christian poverty, and what does it mean. And um, Terry was set a wonderful book this week to review and possibly interview the, um, the author. The author is Kevin Wells. The book is Priest and Beggar, the Heroic Life of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz. Um, awesome, awesome story, true story. Uh, a priest who was Mother Teresa to, to Korea, as it were. Um, and so Ignatius Press publishes it, and we'll talk a little bit about that. It has, and use this priest as an example of how we are to live this radical poverty that Jesus lived. Well, we want to take a look at Jesus first and see what is this radical poverty that he lived. And then we'll look at a saint and maybe a couple of saints. We'll bring in a couple of other names as we go along um, who have shown us how to live this radical poverty. So we will begin with the Gospel of John. And we ask the angels to join us here. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celi et terra, Gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. The Gospel according to John, chapter 19, verses 31 through 37. And again, this is the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus. Since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers thrust his lance into his side, and immediately blood and water flowed out. An eyewitness has testified, and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth so that you also may come to believe. For this happened so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled. Not a bone of it will be broken. And again, another passage. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. 
the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so we have this beautiful feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And what do we have here? We have the death of our Lord on the cross and the piercing of his side by the soldier with a lance. So how do we read this? How does the church read this? Well, in Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 766, it says, The church is born primarily of Christ's total self-giving for our salvation, anticipated in the institution of the Eucharist and fulfilled on the cross. The origin and growth of the church are symbolized by the blood and water which flowed from the open side of the crucified Jesus. First, it was from the side of Christ as he slept the sleep of death upon the cross. For, excuse me, for it was, for it was from the side of Christ as he slept the sleep of death upon the cross that there came forth the wondrous sacrament of the whole church. As Eve was formed from the sleeping Adam's side, so the church was born from the pierced heart of Christ hanging dead on the cross. And where, of course, do the, do, 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 does the church get this idea? Well, from the very beginning, the fathers of the church saw in this, you know, when God created Adam and Eve, everything that God did when he created man, he made man to share his life with us, okay, and to draw us into his own life. And when we sinned, he had that plan of salvation that would unfold. And in that plan of salvation, his son would become man and would die for us in order to redeem us from our sins so that we, could, we would not remain entrenched and enmeshed and enslaved by sin. Sin does not give us freedom. It enslaves us. The idea that I'm going to throw off the yoke of the Ten Commandments and I'm going to throw off the yoke of all the morality that that the church has taught for 2,000 years and that was taught before the church was founded in the Old Testament through the Ten Commandments, that doesn't give you freedom. That just makes you a slave. It makes you a slave of your enemy. And it makes yourself an enemy to yourself. Because when we become slaves of our passions, when we don't discipline our bodies and train our bodies to serve the Lord, our bodies are good. They're holy. God made them. But we can use them either to praise the Lord or we can use them to sin. And when we use them to sin, we darken our intellect and weaken our will and we go further and further away from God. So we want to use our bodies to praise God and to acknowledge that all the faculties of our body are good and holy and they were all meant to praise God. And so when God created Adam and Eve, he has this plan for salvation in mind. It's not an afterthought. It's not an oops. Oh, darn it. Adam and Eve messed things up. I better come up with another plan. No, God knows. And that doesn't, he didn't predetermine us or predestine us to do evil. God made us for good. He made us for union with himself. And he gives us the grace. He gives everyone sufficient grace to achieve the good, to know that he is the true good for whom we were made, that we're supposed to choose him. But Adam and Eve made a different choice. They decided under the temptation of Satan that, um, well, God's keeping things from us. You know, um, maybe we can be like God and we don't need God's help. And that was their temptation. And that's what they, they did. They tried to be like God without his help. And what did they find out? They found out that they were ashamed, that they were naked. Only now their nakedness 
When Adam and Eve created, when Adam and Eve were created, God created them in a state of grace so that they saw each other as gift. The man saw his wife as a gift and the woman saw her husband as a gift. And then she saw, he saw himself as a gift to be given to his wife and she saw herself as a gift to be given to her husband. And there was this intimate personal communion, the kind of communion that exists within the Trinity from all eternity. And this was what was to be shared by mankind. And this is what marriage and family was about. It was supposed to show forth this intimate Trinitarian life where God is a sol- not a solitude unto himself, but a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who live in communion of love and life, who are constantly pouring themselves out to one another and giving back love and life. It's a constant outpouring of love and a constant giving out of life and receiving, giving and receiving. And this is what marriage, human marriage was to be. And of course, sin, sin messed that one up. (laughs) And now marriage has become something else. But we can, with the grace of God, we can strive that our marriages will be what they were supposed to be. And if we ask God, he will give us that grace. And there are many holy marriages. As a matter of fact, there are married couples who are saints. Louise and Zelie Martin immediately come to mind. Um, I believe St. Isidore the farmer and his wife were both canonized. There were saints who were um, mar- married men and women who were both, both martyred for the faith. I don't know the names of all of them. I know Elizabeth Lesur, her husband, certainly considered her a saint. And he, um, because of her prayers and sacrifices, became a Catholic priest, and, a, and a, a man striving only to do God's will after having been a militant atheist who was trying to destroy the faith of the young. So, you know, God's grace can do miracles. And, and here Jesus is sleep in the, death, in, the, in the sleep of death on the cross. We see him as that Paschal lamb. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Paschal lamb. How do we know that? Well, at the end of this passage, John says, not a bro- bone of him shall be broken. Remember, Pilate ordered that the bones be broken so that the men would die, so that they would suffocate. Well, Jesus was already dead. So they broke the bones of the one thief and then the other thief, and then they came to Jesus. He's already dead. So what do they do? They pierce his side with a lance. Well, one, one passage had said, not a bone of it shall be broken. So not a bone of the Paschal lamb was to be broken, and his bones weren't broken. And then they shall look upon him whom they have pierced, which was another prophecy about the Messiah. So Christ is that true Paschal lamb. He is the one who fulfills, and he comes to take away the sins of the world. Remember, he didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to take away the sins of the world. So we want to look at the poverty of Christ, and what was this poverty of Christ, and how did he show it? And then we want to look at the life of particularly St. Aloysius, not St. yet, excuse me, Venerable Aloysius Schwartz, and see how he lived that poverty out so that each of us too in our lives may begin to live that poverty. We're all called to live a holy life, to promote the growth of the church in her continual sanctification. And so Christ's death on the cross, the blood and water represent the birth, the church is being born from his side and the sacramental life of the church is flowing out from his side. And that's what the Father of the Church that's from the very beginning. Don't go away. We have more on this Bible with the Barbers on Friday, June 11, 2021. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, June the 11th, the feast, the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus. And um, actually, Terry's not here with me <laughs> in the studio. Terry's babysitting our grandson, little baby Bo. So Bo Thomas Francis Barber. So how is it that Christ emptied himself? What does this mean? Well, in, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, the Holy Spirit in, in, um, excuse me, inspired Paul to write this. He said, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. And what is this mind? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death, on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Christ emptied himself. He's God, and he really did become man. Now, when he became man, he didn't come into a palace. He wasn't born of a king who wore a crown. Yes, he was born of the, the line of David, the royal family of David. He was royalty. So were Joseph and Mary, both from the family of David. But he wasn't born into a palace. He was born into poverty. And how do we dare say that about Blessed Mother and St. Joseph? St. Joseph was a hardworking man. You know, some people have this idea that poor people are just lazy. St. Joseph worked hard. <laughs> he, he was a general contractor. <laughs> and yet they lived in poverty. And how do we know they lived in poverty? Well, we look at the presentation of Jesus in the temple. When the child Jesus was 40 days old, Joseph and Mary brought him up to the temple to present him to the Lord. And they presented him and they offered in sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Weren't they supposed to offer a lamb? A lamb was only offered by the rich. You see, poor people couldn't afford a lamb. Of course, Christ is the lamb. But they offered a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons because they were poor. So Christ lived in this poverty, human poverty, not Abject poverty? I don't think so. Joseph was a hardworking man. He worked hard, so he probably had a sufficiency of food. He had a um, modest shelter, you know, and, and he had clothing to wear. His mother made him his clothing. She was taught to do that. That's what the women did in those days. But 
he wasn't living an ostentatious life. He wasn't living a life of comfort and ease. He lived in poverty. He lived in poverty. And of course, Jesus is God. And what greater poverty would there be for God, the creator, to take on the nature of his creature? So God himself shows us this poverty. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant, it says in this translation. Another translation says a slave. He took the form of a slave. He took the form. He took human nature to himself. He really became man. It wasn't a play acting. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't just a symbol. It wasn't, oh, he put on this human nature for a while. No, he united his Godhead to the human nature. Jesus of Nazareth was truly a man. And he was also truly God because the second person of the Blessed Trinity united himself to this human nature. So he shows us this poverty. And by the way, throughout the history of the Catholic Church, and it's interesting, when Scott and Kimberly Hahn you know, became Catholic, their journey many people know. Um, he was a Protestant minister and he became Catholic in 1989. And his wife became Catholic later on. And they talk about their journey and they, you know, Scott mentions, he said, one of the best kept secrets of the Catholic Church are the saints. Do you want to know how to live the gospel? Then start reading the writings of the saints. Now, sometimes you have to be careful because some of the saints, their writings are difficult to understand. But we have some modern day saints who show us. And by the way, St. Therese of Lisieux has been hailed by the popes as the saint for our time. The one who shows us the way. She rediscovered the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, that Christ simply wants us to give ourselves to him. That just as he was poor and in his poverty, he gives himself totally to us, even to the point of death on the cross. He wants us in return to give ourselves to him. And he gives himself to us in the Eucharist. What great humility. Our God became man and hides his him, his divinity under the human nature. And now, after he, has after he has died on the cross, before he died on the cross, actually, at the Last Supper, he gives himself to us under the appearance of bread and wine. So now the God-man, not only God, but his human nature comes to us under the appearance of bread and wine, but it's not bread and wine. It's really Jesus the second, it's really the second person of the Blessed Trinity and Jesus, who is Jesus of Nazareth, the man who is truly human, not a human person, a divine person who took to himself a human nature. And he changes bread and wine into his body, his blood, his soul and divinity. All of his humanity, all of his divinity are contained under the species of bread and wine in the Holy Eucharist. We reserve his, the species of the bread in the tabernacle to be taken to the sick and the poor, to those who can't come to Mass, the sick and the shut-ins. But we, we, we can also adore Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. It is appropriate to do so. So he hides himself. Just as he hid himself in his earthly life, he hid his divinity under the veil of his humanity. So now... As he continues to live in his church, he's really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity under the appearance of bread and wine in the Eucharist. And it's interesting because throughout the history of the church, there have been miracles in regards to the Eucharist. 
priests who have doubted the real presence of the Eucharist. And suddenly the, the Holy Eucharist, as they're saying Mass, turns to flesh and blood in their own hands. At, you know, the miracle of Lanciano, and there's, there's others and that have been declared authentic miracles. There's no um, scientific explanation for this. <laughs> that a piece, what appears to be a piece of bread suddenly becomes a piece of flesh that's living, a living piece of flesh. And by the way, they've examined this, these miracles. It's heart tissue. And the heart tissue of someone who not only, not dead, but living heart tissue that is in the throes of, of terrible suffering, of intense suffering, the kind of suffering that's described in the passion of Christ. That kind of intense suffering. There's no human explanation. But remember, God intervenes in human history. Just like man sinned and turned away from God, God didn't abandon us to our sin. He promised to send a Savior. He promised to remedy the situation. So he comes to remedy the situation. And he lived in poverty. You know, he was born in a cave, uh, laid in a manger, didn't have a house to be born in. Swaddling clothes, because his mother had made the swaddling clothes. He had to run off to Egypt to be, to be protected from Herod, who was searching to kill him. As an infant, his mother and father had to take him to Egypt. He lives in an exile in Egypt. He comes back. They're going to go back to Bethlehem, apparently, because an angel comes to Joseph in the dream and says, don't go there. Herod's son is now king, and he's worse than his father. So, so Joseph goes back to Nazareth. Nazareth, what about Nazareth? Oh my goodness, can anything good come out of Nazareth, Nathaniel would say, when he was told that Jesus of Nazareth, come see the Messiah, Jesus of Naz Nazareth. Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? No way. Yeah, humility and hiddenness, a hidden life, where I'm not exerting my own will, where I'm not exerting my will. I'm not saying it has to be done my way, my way or the highway. You're going to do it my way or forget it. I'll throw a temper tantrum. I'll yell at you. I'll scream. I'll act like a two-year-old so that you'll just give in. No. We give up our own will and surrender our own will in imitation of Christ who comes to do the Father's will. In the garden, he would pray, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. But not my will, but thine be done. And he will be buried in a borrowed grave He's buried in a borrowed grave. I have visitors in the studio. <laughs> he doesn't even have his own grave to be buried in. Of course, he wasn't going to stay there, so it was okay. Joseph there and Matthias didn't realize that, you know, three days later the, the tomb would be empty. But nonetheless, he, Joseph and Matthias lends Jesus his grave, which is Jesus only has to be there for Friday, Saturday, and he rises on Sunday morning. So... Christ is showing us this poverty, and we know he was poor. He lived in Nazareth. He, li he, he grew up, he was a carpenter, like his father Joseph, a general contractor. As um, the scripture scholars tell us, the word that's used, the word that is translated carpenter means general contractor. So they, they did building work. That's hard work. You're tough. You're strong. Your hands are rough. Um, so he, he was a hardworking man. And so this is the poverty. This is part of the poverty is, is this um, material poverty. But bearing it without complaint. You know, 
we can have great wealth and complain about what we don't have and, oh, the neighbors have so much more than me. And, you know, we can have great poverty and bear it with complaint and say, oh, well, you know, I don't have this and I don't have that and I have to do without this and I have to do without that. And, oh, my gosh, I'm always so poor. And if I weren't so poor, life would be so much better. And you know what? Life would be so much better for all of us if we surrender ourselves to Christ and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to thank you in every moment of every day. And um, I want to look at this priest here. Priest and beggar, Father Aloysius Schwartz. Now, this man grew up in poverty, similar to Christ, not because his father was lazy, but Aloysius Schwartz was born in 1930 at the height of the Great Depression. He was the third child. I believe they had eight total. They were Catholic, devout Catholic family. His father had come from Germany originally. He was originally from Germany, but he had served in the military um, as a, um, after the war, trying to demine the waters, which he wouldn't talk about. It was too, too grueling to talk about. I hear that music coming up. So we're, we want to show the example of someone who actually lived the poverty that Christ has called us all to live. Maybe not in the exact same way that Father Al- Aloysius lived it, but nonetheless, live poverty in union with Christ for the praise and the glory of the Father's name. That his kingdom would come and his will be done. Thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers and Terry's visit, uh, visiting. <laughs> he's, he's babysitting our grandson. And so we're talking about... Um, being poor, poverty, embracing poverty, the poverty of the gospel, which many of us have lost a sense of. What is that poverty of the gospel? We, we've actually become very complacent and, and um, opulent. We live in, and it's very difficult. Jesus said it's harder for the rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than it is for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle. And it's interesting. I know many scholars say, well, the needle's eye, that was the name of a gate in, in Jerusalem, and a, a, needle, a camel could go through it. And... Um, it was difficult, but they could. Well, the difficulty with that particular explanation is that Luke was a physician, Luke, the evangelist. And when he quotes that passage, the word he used for needle's eye is a surgeon's needle. <laughs> no, a camel can't pass through the eye of a surgeon's needle. For man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's what the life of this man shows. Now, Al Schwartz was very acquainted with poverty from his life. As I said, he was born in 1930. Um, He was the third of, I believe it was eight children total. And his father had lost his job. They lived in Washington, D.C. It's interesting because on the back of the book, uh, Father Donald Calloway is one of the people who endorses the book. And he says, can anything good come out of Washington, D.C.? Oh, yes, quite possibly a future saint, a truly riveting story that makes one want to be a better servant of Christ and others. So in the prologue to the book, now this isn't Father writing himself, although there are quotes in here from Father's writings. Father has, um, he, there, there's a book called Killing Me Softly, which is the story of Father Schwartz, and he, he died of Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, but there's, there's, um, he has his, um, his personal manuscripts and archives which the Sisters of Mary have. In the, and the Sisters of Mary is the religious sisters order that he founded. 
because he went to serve in Korea. Once he be, did become a priest, he went to serve in Korea um, as a mendicant, what we call a secular priest. He didn't belong to a religious order because he wanted to live and serve among the poor. Very similar. He received a call very similar to Mother Teresa of Calcutta. That is to leave her convent. She was a religious sister and she was called to leave her convent where she taught, she taught children, but she saw this poverty outside her convent and God touched her heart to say, will you take care of me in these people, the poor, the untouchable. She was in India and she was teaching rich children's children. The people she was teaching the children of rich people. And so um, in India, you have the caste system. Well, Mother Teresa single-handedly did more to break down the caste system in India than anyone else because she went out and picked up the untouchables out of the streets. And then some of the, the young women who were daughters of these rich families joined her order and started going out into the streets and picking up the untouchables. And so Father Schwartz is the Mother Teresa of Korea because after the war, he goes to Korea, war-torn, war-torn South Korea, to serve the poor there. And so he founded an order of sisters. And in the prologue to this book, the author is, is, um, had befriended one of the sisters in Mexico. She actually was from Brazil originally. And he insensitively and rudely possibly asked, um, asked her what else she had to die to. <laughs> and, you know, there was an awkward silence, and finally she admitted, I'm very sensitive. And then she went on to say, and I know I must give that up too. My thoughts, my hurts, it is all nothing. I must die to everything to be filled with Christ. And she went on. To live poverty means that I must accept a certain death. Now, it is not easy for me, but I know I need to die several times a day. I need to leave behind everything that I am, but that is the gospel. I leave everything, mother, Father, all that I have, this is what Jesus asks. It is difficult, but these difficulties are great gifts because they allow me to offer myself fully to him and these girls. And she was talking about the girls in, Father, it was originally called um, the Asian Relief Society, and now it's called the World Villages of Children. And they serve the poor children. They take them off the streets and give them an education. And the, the author goes on to mention that where did she learn this? Where did she learn this, that this is the gospel? She learned it from Father Aloysius Swartz, that we must truly, completely die to ourselves and live only for Christ and allow his Holy Spirit to work in and through us to accomplish whatever it is he desires. Now, for Father Al, that meant following a radical, radical poverty. He met with a lot of opposition in his life, you know, his family, when he, he wanted to go to, a, he didn't want to be a member of a religious order. He wanted to be a secular priest, that is diocesan priest, but he wanted to be free to serve the poor in their slums and living the life of poverty that they lived. And everybody thought he was cuckoo, cuckoo. And there was a lot of opposition to, to him. But at the same time, he learned through all of this and it's so beautiful. You know, you think, oh, well, you know, this guy, you know, grew up in Washington, D.C., you know, whatever. What does he know? Well, he did know. As I said, he was born to a, a, a devout Catholic family. 
1930, at the height of the Great Depression, his father had lost his job, so his father did you know he, whatever he could. And then at one point, um, when he was about seven or eight, he actually his father actually got pneumonia and he was dying. He was threatening to leave this world. And um, Al's you know Aloysius is in the the the, his, the the father's wife, the wife, the mother of all the children. She begged God, please don't don't let him die. Now his his mother had been a typist for. Um, the United States government. She was a very good typist. So when his father ended up in the hospital, she had to go back to typing. So the children were left alone at home. And um, um, they, Aloysius had an older brother, um, Lou and Louis, and um, an older sister. And so you know they had to take care of the younger ones. And there were, there were other families. They lived in poverty. They lived in a very poor area in Washington, D.C. There were other families there that didn't keep their children under control and um, where there was a lot of fighting and bickering and dissension in the family. And the children were, so the children carried that to the streets and they were bullies. And because the Swartz's father wasn't there to protect them, Lewis and Al became the, the object of these bullies who would try and beat them up. And, um, of course, Lewis and Al were going to a Catholic school, and the sisters told them, you can't fight back, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so they didn't really know how to defend themselves. And so they would try and avoid a conflict. They would try and, you know, sneak home and avoid these bullies as much as they could. And at one point, Al realized, you know, I need to pray for these guys, too. Jesus died for them, too. And this is as, as a child. He still realizes they had a, they had in their family um, the, the sister of, their father was a religious sister, and she belonged to the Sisters of Notre Dame de Namur, and they taught in the slums. They taught the black children in the slums. And they used to go visit her, and a great friendship developed between Al and, um, and this sister. Between, yes, between Aloysius and this sister. And um, she prayed for his vocation. But after a while, he began to notice something. His aunt lived in a convent that was nicely built, had running water hot and cold, they had three meals a day, and um, their clothing wasn't threadbare and worn out like the poor. So they were serving the poor, but they weren't living like the poor. And he didn't condemn her. He didn't say she wasn't being holy, but he thought there's got to be a deeper adherence to the gospel. For him, he felt a calling to a deeper adherence to the gospel, like Mother Teresa to abandon all of the worldly comforts, including having the, the security of where, where my next meal is coming from, which as a child he never had when his father was ill and, and also moving from job to job. That, that wasn't, that was a, it was a, they didn't know for sure when they came home from school if there would be something to eat. And there wasn't always. And the mother, their mother was out working and she couldn't take care of the younger children. The, 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 boys had, the boys and their older sister had to do that. So he learns this poverty. And in the midst of this poverty, he learns not to complain, but he learns a life of prayer, for, partly from his aunt, who was a sister, a religious sister, and she encouraged him to pray, and she prays for his vocation. I'm sure she had other sisters praying for his vocation. But he feels this calling through this tremendous, tremendous poverty, life of poverty, to live as the poor, not just to serve the poor, but to live as they lived. Now, I haven't finished the whole book, so I can't give you the whole story, but I want you to get it. I want people to get this book. 
and just the beginning of it, it moves you to begin to understand and to begin to examine our own lives. Are we living that radical poverty of the gospel? Are we dying to ourselves? And as that sister said, the most important thing is that, that dying to myself day by day. This is the poverty that Christ shows us. I may not be living in abject poverty. I may not be called like Mother Teresa or Al Schwartz to go out into the slums and live there with the people. But I am called to live in union with Christ day by day. All of us by our baptism are called to live a holy life and to promote the growth of the church and her continual sanctification. It's not an option. Mother Teresa would repeat to people, sanctity is not the option of the few. It's the simple duty of us all. We're all called to be saints. We're all called to live in union with God moment by moment, day by day. That's why God became man. That's why Jesus is present in the Eucharist. As St. Therese of Lisieux said, he didn't come and, and give us the Eucharist so that he could dwell in a little gold tabernacle and sit there on the altar all day. He wants to dwell in us. And when we can't receive him in the sacrament of the Eucharist, Invite him many times a day to come spiritually into your soul. Live this poverty of dying to self moment by moment. And it begins by constantly living in the presence of God, acknowledging that everything I have and have comes from God. You know, somebody called on a radio show and said that, you know, I can't really praise God because, well, what can I thank him for? I mean, he didn't really give me anything. Wow. Really? And fortunately, you know, the, the radio host said, well, wait a minute, you know, you have life, you, you, you're in college, you have an education, you're, you know, you've received scholarships, you know, do you think maybe God had something to do with all of that? When we come back, we'll talk more about that, this gratitude and this, this recognizing all that we are and have is gifts. I didn't make myself. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Again, Terry's visit, uh, grand, visiting. He's visiting with us. He's babysitting our grandson. <laughs> so, and, and tomorrow is the men's conference. I hope those of you, um, if you haven't signed up, I think you can still call today at 775-26-2151. Make sure you sign up. It makes it easier if you sign up ahead of time rather than signing up on site, but you're welcome to come on site. Um, and um, thank you so much for your support and those who listen. Thank you for listening. And for those of you who offer your sufferings and that's here, we want to, this is the last, I can't believe it, that it says on the clock that it's 1246. So we're coming down to the wire here. This is the last um, segment of the show. So I want to talk a little bit still about Father Elschwert and, and how he saw this call to radical poverty, not just a poverty of, of um, living among the poor and living like them, but the poverty to, of dying to self. Christ invites one to lose his life in order to find it. Do you remember that? The man who saves his life will lose it while the man who loses his life will find it. Isn't that the gospel? He says that one must renounce home, family, and material possessions if one desires the fullness of grace. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him renounce himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. A man who puts his hand to the plow and keeps looking back is not worthy of me. One must even abandon his will, desires, and care for the future in order to live from day to day in search of the kingdom of God, which is within one. God dwells in us. The total renunciation of self 
is the only door that leads to fulfillment of self. If we really want to find ourselves, we have to lose ourselves, give ourselves totally to Christ. And Al learned this lesson in seminary. When he was in seminary, high school seminary, he got into some, some of the pranks that the other kids were doing. He, he did something one day that got the head, you know, got him, it was a punishable offense. So you went to the headmaster's office and you would get spanked. Back in those days, they could do that. And so Al got punished. And after he left the headmaster's office, he went to the Blessed Sacrament and he simply said, thank you, Lord, I needed that. And after that, he became more concerned and more mature about his seminary life. And he also, someone gave him St. Therese of Lisieux's autobiography, The Story of a Soul. And what did he find there? He was struck by her little way of renunciation. The French saint with her impulse to embrace hiddenness and the dignity of suffering. With her faithful perseverance in offering unnoticed acts of sacrifice with her desire for total abandonment to serve God captivated him as no other saint had. Even as a 16 year old, he saw that the substance of her writing is inspired with the fire of the spirit and the blood of the lamb. As he wrote in his private journal, he would later request his longtime spiritual director in Korea Belgian Carmelite nun, Mother Gertrude, that she pray fervently that Therese herself puts into my heart, my bloodstream and the very marrow of my bones, what is contained in that book. Over the course of, the li of his life, he would go on to read the story of a soul more than two dozen times. And on his deathbed, he requested that the deathbed conversations of Therese would be read to him. He saw in Therese, not a little way in the sense of, oh, it's so easy. No, he saw that arduous way whereby we die to ourselves. St. Pius XII said of Therese of Lisieux that she rediscovered the gospel for us. We had somehow lost the gospel as some St. Marmion had said, Blessed Marmion had said, I was told, practice virtue, practice virtue, practice virtue, and eventually you'll fall in love with God. And eventually I learned that was wrong. That was backward. Fall in love with God, and eventually you'll be able to practice virtue. And this was it. Therese of Lisieux realized and learned, you, you fall in love with God and do everything for love of him. And even if you can't practice virtue, then you simply offer your weakness and you're, you humble yourself before him and say, Lord, without your grace, this is all I am. But if with your grace, you can do more through me if you desire. But I will wait for you. I'm not going to climb up this. I will keep putting my foot up for the first step, but I'm too little to climb up those stairs. And I will wait till you're ready to come down. But I will never stop trying. I will never stop lifting my little foot. She had this analogy of the spiritual life was like a stairway. And here she was, this little child, this little infant who's trying to get on the first step. But every time she puts her foot up to get on the first step, boom, she falls down. And anyone who's watching a little baby walk, learn how to walk, and then they learn how to climb stairs. That's what they do. They, put, they try to put that foot up on the step. It's too much. And boom, they fall down. But she said, I will keep lifting that little foot until you decide to come down and carry me up. And what if Jesus let me get up to the fifth step by myself? She told one of her novices, what if Jesus had let you get up to the fifth step with all your practice of virtue? 
and then he had to knock you down to the bottom because of your pride. You see, the little way is that total self-renunciation where I recognize and realize that I am totally dependent on God. And this is what Jesus showed us in his life on earth, totally dependent on the Father. He didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of the Father. And Therese rediscovers this for us, and Father Al discovered it in Therese. But already he had had that spark that the missionary calling was in his heart to live as the poor lived and to serve them. Like Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa knew Father Al, by the way, and she knew of his work. His work wasn't publicized widely like Mother Teresa. Malcolm Mugridge wrote about Mother Teresa, and that made her a lot of people, she got a lot of attention. Malcolm Mugridge didn't write about Father Al. Father Al was in Korea, and, and he founded this order of sisters who carry on his work to this day. They carry on his work. But this whole life of dying to self, and it was a difficult path for him. There were lots of obstacles. You know, first he was in the seminary that he went to high school seminary. And, um, but he didn't want to be part of a religious order, the Sepulchians. He wanted to be, um, they were the ones who wrote, wrote, ran the seminary. He wanted to be a missionary. And they actually were discouraging missionary vocations. They said, no, there's so much need here in the United States. You shouldn't run off to another country. Well, what if God's called you to be a missionary? Don't we fulfill God's will? That's what we want to do is to fulfill the will of God. So then he joined Mary Knoll. But even in Mary Knoll, he realized that if he was going to serve the poor, he had to be like the poor. And even in Mary Knoll, he would have a house to live in. He would be assured of meals. He would have clothes to wear that weren't like the poor people's clothes. See, Mother Teresa, remember, she, she wears the sari. That's the clothing of the poor. And she has one to wash and one to wear. That was it. God have mercy. You know, Mother Teresa is now a saint, St. Teresa of Calcutta. But when she was living, one to wash and one to wear. That was it. The sisters don't have a lot of clothes. They don't have time to do a lot of laundry. So for Father Al, it was to live that, okay? And when he, when he finally found a, a society of the auxiliaries of the mission, I don't know how to say the French, but I believe that's the uh, Société des Auxiliaires the missions, I'm not French, I didn't study French. Um, it was called the, the Samists, S-A-M-I-S-T was their, the name they were called by. And he went there. And, um, you know, when he got there, they, he wasn't well received. And as a matter of fact, there was a lot of ridicule. But he didn't give in to self-pity. And this is a big part of that living the gospel. Jesus didn't go around feeling sorry for himself, Okay. And he didn't go around beating himself up when people wouldn't listen to him. Oh, I did such a horrible job of preaching that people wouldn't listen. No, <laughs> he just went around doing the Father's will. So Father Al, when he got to this seminary, he, he, he arrived late in the semester. He got there. He didn't speak French, and he didn't speak Latin. Um, he knew Latin from the Mass, but he didn't knew Latin, know Latin to study in Latin. He didn't speak French, and this, all the classes were taught in Latin and French. So now he not only has to learn his classes, he has to learn Latin and French so that he can learn his classes. And he's late in the semester, he arrives, and they're making fun of him because everybody knew about Mary Knoll, and they thought, well, Mary Knoll's a great society. Why would he leave? Because he's so proud. He's so proud he left Mary Knoll because he thought he was too good for Mary Knoll. So what he did, what did he do? As a general rule, Al made it a point to stay quiet and bestow unspoken measures of kindness upon each person he encountered. 
All the while, he was persevering in his classes. So he did his duty. He didn't feel sorry for himself. And he looked for ways to be kind to people who were treating him badly. This is the gospel. And this is why. It, and again, it's, it's again that Tres of Lezou rediscovered the gospel for us, that it's about falling in love with God. It's about falling in love with God and then giving our whole being over to God. And this is what Jesus did. He gave himself completely to the Father. His human nature completely surrendered itself to the will of the Father. And the Son surrenders himself completely to the Father. And he shows us this way, this way of love. And this is the gospel we are to live in our lives as parents, to pray for the grace to be patient with our children, especially the little babies, to pray for the grace to give them the affection that they need. So many little children today are growing up emotionally deprived, starved of emotional support. They need it. God made the emotions their good. We need to love and our children need to know that they're loved. If you can't hold them physically because you have a handicap, speak to them softly, caress their feet, sit next to them, read a book to them, sit with them. Don't put them in front of a TV screen. Spend time with them and love them and let them know that they are loved. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, renounce the self-pity, renounce our own perfect paradise you know, the world that we live in is confused. The church that we live in is confused. It's okay. God's in charge and he loves us. He just wants us to love him back. He wants us to accept his love for us and love him back. Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Yes, we're supposed to forgive our enemies. And I know some people don't understand that. But this is the radical truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to forgive our enemies. We are to love them. That doesn't mean I have to let people beat me up but I am to pray for them and for their conversion. And how many people were won over by kindness? How many lives have been saved? How many souls have been saved? Because someone refused to return insult for ins in in insult or injury for injury. And instead of said, no, I will love this person enough to say, I will bear this suffering for love of them. And that's part of also what Therese of Jesus discovered and rediscovered the dignity of human suffering. Christ did not come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. When we suffer, we are like Christ. I hope you all read the book. I hope you read your scriptures every day. I hope you fall more deeply in love with Jesus Christ and his church every day. Remember, it is the Feast of the Sacred Heart. The Eucharist is the heart of our God present among us. He's there to be present to us. Let us be present to him. And we can't be with him. Send our angels and be present to him spiritually. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. God love you. I hope to see you again next week on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.